2 Corinthians 3.17. Starting with 16 and then 17. 2 Corinthians 3.16, then 17. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. In other words, the blindfold is removed. So one can see. The veil is taken away so we can see. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, liberty, freedom. What is liberty? It's complete freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and freedom. And when you say, Holy Spirit, come. Uh, We love you. (laughs) We love your presence. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Perfect submission. When I just think of living in freedom, we live in a country. This is a free country, right? I mean, this is the land of the free, the home of the brave, a free country. And when we live and walk in that freedom in, in this country, In order for us to truly be free, what do we have to do? Submit to the rules. (laughs) We really do have to submit to the laws of the land to be able to walk in the freedom that we can enjoy and appreciate in this country. Right? It's like, oh, wow, wow, wow. And I think, of what, what exactly does that mean? And well, that means we better pay our property taxes. We better pay our, the internal revenue service, state taxes. Ta- there's things that we are supposed to do as we submit to the governing body that oversees us. And heaven forbid we're supposed to do the speed limit. And if we're not, what are we doing? We're looking in the mirror. We're looking at every intersection. We're cautiously watching just to make sure that we don't get caught. Is that not right? Man, there's a whole lot of heads shaking yes in here. A bunch of lawbreakers. Uh, yes, yes. In the spirit realm, it's the same thing. Perfect submission, complete submission. If we want to walk in the freedom that he has established for us, in that liberty and in that freedom, what must we do? We must submit fully to God, his will, purpose for our life. Scripture says uh, in James, it says, Submit to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil. I just want to, you know, it's one of the things that we just don't do very much around here, and that's give very much credit to the devil or talk much about the devil. It's like, no, we're talking about God and about his goodness and about the power and authority that we have in Jesus Christ. But we do have to know and recognize that there is an enemy, that we do have an enemy. And we have to realize that things in the Spirit have an 
overlay. There's an overlay from the spirit realm to the natural realm. Right? All in agreement there. And I was just thinking, it's, it's pretty incredible what crazy, crazy... Um, uh, what what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, coincidence that it has been like two Sundays ago, Father's Day. I was going to be preaching. I started working on my message, and the craziest thing—two crazy things happened. One, we lost all of these lights, so we had no stage lights. That was just one thing. That was one of the things. Like, why in the world did that happen? That very same Sunday, the Saturday, all day that. Saturday, beginning late Friday night, Saturday, I had such incredible knee pain that I was trying to decide, well, it's too late to be trying to tell somebody else they need to get a message ready. It's Saturday, and it's like my full belief and thought was, I am going to push through this, and I'm going to be healed when I do. Sunday, as soon as I'm through preaching, I'm going to walk off, off here and I'm going to be healed. It's going to be healed because it's happened to me before. About five years ago or so, in somewhere in that neighborhood, I had the same incredible knee pain with no, no reason, no, no anything. And, and I pushed through, I persevered, I preached, and it was gone. So sometimes we can think that there is a formula that's going to work, and it's going to work again. So I've had no issues, no knee issues, no knee pain for like five years. And out of nowhere, I had done nothing. I have this incredible pain and so much pain that I, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I almost woke my wife up and said, you're going to have to take me into emergency. I cannot deal with this pain anymore. And instead, we prayed. We prayed together and, and, and uh, so I, uh, contended and, and bound and cast and believed and basically pushed through. She went and got me some crutches to get around with so I could get back and forth and into my office to study. And, and I came here fully believing, and I even practiced on Sunday mornings. Like, you know what? I'm going to get up there, and I'm going to preach. i got to practice walking so I don't limp in here. And I was like going around the island, hanging on to the island. Finally, it's like, uh-oh, it's swelling up bigger. I better give that up. So I came in here, and I said, okay, I'm going to leave the crutches in the green room because I can do this, but no, couldn't do it. Had to come up here on, on crutches, but I want to back up just a little bit and talk a little bit about, about my history. I have been a Christian, walking a Christian life to the best of my ability for 50 years, 51, 51 years now. And something that the Lord just completely took away from me that I have not had an issue or a problem with, I've gone 50 years without using a swear word. Without saying a swear word, I've gone 50 years. Yeah. You know, so. Well, let me tell you something that happened that helped me determine, like, holy smoke, there's a whole lot of spiritual to this thing that's going on in my knee because I'm wandering around the house when I finally did get some crutches, and the crutch slipped a little bit. We've got tile bathroom floor. It's like, oh! And even though in my environment, the people that I'm around, the people that I'm talking with all the time, I don't hear swear words very much because I have a really controlled environment. 
I don't have to work out in the construction field anymore. So, but what started happening, I have swear words coming into my head. I'm thinking swear words. I'm thinking about cussing because this hurts so bad. It's like, oh, man. I didn't, though. I'm just thinking them. The devil will send you things that you can reject, but it was a challenge because I'd not even thought that way for such a long time. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I have this physical pain and I don't know what to do about it, but I'm sure when I get... It didn't happen. In fact, by the time I showed up here, Pastor Tim met me in the green room and he goes, oh, you have a brace on your knee. And it's like, no, I don't. He goes, oh... It's like that's swollen. So it's like Monday morning, it's like, it's going to be better. It wasn't better. It was a little bit worse. I got prayed for a couple times and my knee hurt worse. It's like, this is all wrong. Not the way that it works. I know how this works. Renee ended up taking me to the, finally, we, we ended up getting a, finding an emergency place, went to the, went to the dock there. And that was a whole disaster, even trying to get there. There was so much confusion that came into this whole thing. Anyway, finally, we end up in the doctor's office, and I go through x-rays and him feeling and saying, you know, I think it's going to be one of two things. And, and, uh, but I have to share this. In the parking lot, I am praying aloud. It's like, oh, Jesus, Father God, in the name of Jesus, don't let this be gout, because I hear of people who suffer with gout. And it's like, oh, I know that's horrible. I've seen people really battle with that. And Lord, I do not have time for surgery. Please, no surgery. No surgery. No gout, no surgery. It has not been healed miraculously like you were supposed to. <laughs> so I ask, please, no, no gout, no surgery. I don't have time. I, I, and... My friends, Rick and Lisa, LeBron, he sends me a text. He doesn't have any idea what I'm praying about. The two things I'm praying about, no, no gout, no, no surgery, no gout. And in his text, he says, I'm praying for no gout, no surgery. I was like... Well, I went through the doctor. He went, checked everything out, all the x-rays and everything. And then finally he says, well, I'll, I'll draw the fluid off there. And it pulls a bunch. And he said, yeah, that's a bunch of fluid, but it's all really healthy. So obviously you don't have gout, which I initially figured that you did have. It's like, he says, and it's not going to require anything to fix it. I don't really see anything wrong. Maybe a touch of arthritis from an old injury or something. It's like, wow. Okay, Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Pretty amazing how He will answer our prayers, sometimes not just exactly how we're expecting. I get to go to a doctor and then get a confirmation that Rick is praying the same thing. It's like, how awesome is that? Quite a coincidence, huh? We had an amazing speaker last week. That was incredible. Jonah did just an amazing job. The kids that came back from camp, they were so blessed and on fire. And it's like, oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amazing things have transpired. It's like, then, today it's my turn to preach again. 
Last night, we go to an amazing, incredible dinner with my in-laws, with the Rutsons. Renee and I took uh, Pastors Norm and Ruby uh, to, to dinner. We all ate the same thing. We all ordered identically the same thing. Last night at bedtime, it's like, oh, I'm sick. I think I might die. It's like, are you kidding me? This morning, 2.20, I'm pretty much spending a lot of time on the ivory throne. <sighs> Only to get here and have Pastor Tim say, guess what? In your office, there's a big water leak. A pipe broke back there. It's like, no way. Are you kidding me? So I would just up here to say that we, we, there, there is an enemy and there is definitely an overlay between the supernatural and the natural. And we sometimes just have some battles to fight. But if we didn't have challenges and battles to fight, then how would we be overcomers? I was kind of thinking, okay, Renee, need to be ready to get on a microphone and sing again if I have to make a really quick exit, but <laughs> we're believing that ain't happening today. All right. That's the lesson before the, rest, before the lesson. Are we ready? Ready for some word, some scripture. John 14.30. This is something when, when we want complete freedom... Complete freedom. John 14, 30. Jesus speaking to his disciples and he says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world. Who's the ruler of this world? Satan, the enemy, the devil. He's coming. And he has nothing in me. Hmm. Got nothing to worry about. Don't have to be looking over your shoulder. Don't have to be looking over your back because you are squeaky clean. He's got nothing in you, got nothing on you, got no leverage over your life. Right? That's when we can walk in complete freedom because we've totally submitted ourselves and our will to God, then put up a resistance to the devil whether it's cuss words or, or whatever is coming into our, that he's sending our way, we reject. I want to, I want to direct this very quickly uh, to John 8, 1 through 11. I'm trying to build a little bit of a, a little foundation here, and then I get into some really good stuff. But Jesus said he, he has nothing in me, and we want to be to the place with Jesus as our example that there is nothing left of him the ruler of the world, in me, that he has leverage. There's no skeleton in my closet that gives him a leverage to condemn me and say, what about, what about, what about? That he can manipulate and control by the what about. Everybody with me? Okay. Nothing in me. Uh, John 8, 1 through 11 I'm not going to read all that. I'm just going to talk about the woman caught in adultery, caught red-handed in adultery. Now, so the Pharisees, they grabbed her up. They took her to the temple where Jesus was at said, All right, Jesus, 
We just caught this woman red-handed in adultery, and the law of Moses says she must die, that we're going to stone her right here. What do you say, Jesus? So he, he scribbled some things in the sand right there, you know, wrote with a stick or his finger, probably wrote with his finger in the sand right there, and nobody knows for sure what he, what he wrote, but... Then he turns around and he, and he addresses the crowd, all of these Jews, these religious zealots, Pharisees, and he says, yeah, you're probably right. So, the guiltless one of you, the one without sin, you cast the first rock. It's like, kunk, 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 the sound of rocks dropping as they started to examine their conscience and realize, man... Scripture tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So who was worthy of throwing the first stone? No one. So then, when Jesus has just, just pulled her out of the jaws of death because she was just about to die for her sin by being stoned. What a horrible, painful way to die. One rock at a time. She was just about to die, and Jesus spoke to all of those, to, to those that were convicting her. And, and then, so where are your accusers now, he says, if, you're, if you wanted to be reading this along with, where are your accusers now? She looked around and there were none. He said, woman, your sins are forgiven you. So she's been given a new lease on life. She's been snatched from the jaws of death, which absolutely she deserved because she broke that law and was caught in the act. And then his response was, after that last word is, go and sin no more. Walk in your freedom, walk out of here, a free woman, now go and sin no more. You want to remain free? Don't sin anymore. You've been snatched from the jaws of death. You've been given the gift of life and freedom. Now go and sin, more, sin no more. Again, James, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Give me just one second here to decide which direction to go next. I have a lot of notes and a lot of scripture and a little time. Um, we're going to be going to Ephesians 4 and 5, and I'm going to just read that. That's the best preaching that I can do is, is to read from the Passion Translation out of Ephesians 4 and 5. But first I want to talk a little bit about forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness for unforgiveness. James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And if we want our prayers to if we want our prayers to be effective, we have to actually come to a place that we can boldly enter into the throne. Hebrews 10.19 says, through, let's read that. 
Hebrews 10.19. Even back up to 18. Now there is remission of these things, these sins. So there is no longer an offering necessary for sin because there's been that one offering, which was the sinless Jesus Christ. So there's no, there's now there's remission of sin without need for further offering. Therefore, verse 19, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest of holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. As the curtain was rent in the temple, as his flesh was ripped apart through that veil, through his blood, we can enter into, through our faith and trust and belief, we can enter into the holy of holies. And then our prayers will surely be fervent and effectual for the healing of our brothers and sisters and the freedom and deliverance. Are you all with me now? Still, I probably should sing. Okay, let's, um, let's go to Hebrews 12. I'll start with verse 14 and, and then 15. Pursue peace with all men, and holiness. Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. No one will see the Lord without what? Without what? Especially pursue peace with all men and holiness. Holiness, holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Number 15, looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. That's what I want to talk about, how easily we can especially by those that we love, by those that are around us, particularly those in the church. But it doesn't have to be those in the church. It's easy to take an offense. I say, everybody say with me, offense. I want to be offense-free. I don't want to take on any offense. I don't want to take on offense of my own. Boy, it's getting quieter. And I certainly don't want to take on someone else's offense. Because let me tell you what happens, just, you know, crazy example. It's like, you know, when I become offended at somebody who has treated me absolutely not right according to my standards, I am going to quickly have to share my feelings with somebody. Is that not correct? When you become offended, it's pretty difficult to just bite your tongue, isn't it? No? It is really difficult to just bite your tongue. And we're always looking for somebody to side up with us to make us feel a little better about what's happened to us. Is that not right? Somebody say yes. 
So we go to somebody only, only, I mean, we're not trying to gossip. We're not trying to get somebody to side up against them. We just want to make ourselves feel a little better, and we want them to make us feel a little better and be on our side. So I'm going to go share it with somebody, and they're going to listen to that. And what I am doing in that is pretty much cursing that person, that other person, and probably defiling somebody else because they're getting a warped perspective because it's just my view for one thing and there's two sides to every story and I don't even know where they were coming from or what what prompted them to end up saying or doing that I only know how it affected me and so I'm infecting somebody else with the effect that I have taken on does it make sense so a root of bitterness then springs up and begins to defile many because I'm going to tell Pastor Matthew, you know what? You know what that guy sitting right behind you did? That Jackson Allen? Well, he blah, 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 blah. And I wouldn't trust him again with because. And Matthew's going to look at him and then he's going to wonder about Jackson for a long time because... You know, if he did that to Pastor Lynn, he probably would do that to me. And so he's going to end up telling his wife, who's going to end up then telling her. It's like, man, you know, we really need to pray for Jackson because... Now, we can turn it into a prayer request. We need to pray for Jackson because, you know what he did to Pastor Lynn? And it's just like, oh, my goodness. So we have got... I just. A, a division that's taking place in the church between brothers and sisters that are like-minded, loving people that was never supposed to happen and didn't mean to happen. And, and, and it's just because of that bitterness that spewed out of my mouth that this whole thing began to happen and people are taking sides. We have to be really careful of that. So what's the solution? The solution is be really quick to forgive. Because the enemy jumps in right there. I mean, there's another scripture. I'm not going to go to every scripture that I have here, but there's another scripture that says, you know, don't even let the sun set on your, your, your unforgiveness, your bitterness, or, or your whatever, but get it straightened out. Get it straightened out so you don't give the devil a foothold. Because then he can use it and start to manipulate us and build it up and build it up to where eventually the story probably isn't even the same thing, not even the real thing that happened, but still somebody's willing to take that offense on because we would almost rather be against something or somebody than we would be for. Well, that sounds pretty crazy. Should I say that again? It's easier to find somebody to be against something than it is for because we have such a tendency in our own minds to think negatively. So we are grabbed more quickly to negative information than we will positive. That's ridiculous, but it's true. So straighten up. Stop it. Stop it. What do we need to do? Stop it. Don't let bitterness spring up and defile a bunch of people. We need to cut it off right at the source. And how do we do that? It's like, be quick to forgive. Be quick to forgive. 
Because the enemy wants to jump in any opportunity that he can to manipulate people to be, and they end up on his side, not even intentionally. They're on his side. Sons of disobedience. I was, was I, as I was kind of thinking and studying for this, I thought of Jesus being crucified. It's like, wow. As he was being crucified, and I thought about the, the crazy pain in my knee that almost had me going to emergency in the middle of the night, thinking, and I'm ready to start swearing. <laughs> that kind of temptation. Um, and then thinking of Jesus, the incredible pain that he was going through as he was being crucified on that cross for your sins, for my sins, for all of the sins of the world, the sinless lamb being crucified for our sins, and as he was being crucified, I feel like to me this was a last-ditch effort on the devil's part to try to lure him into sin one last time, one last opportunity as he's going through the agony of being crucified, where the people around him are mocking him and, and, and they're calling him names and spitting towards the cross. I'm just anything that you can imagine. And one of the guys even hanging on the other cross says, if you're really the Son of God, why don't you get yourself down off of there? And what was his response? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I'd say, give me a heart like that, Father, that I can forgive that quickly and come to the point that, you know what, I bet they didn't even know what they were doing. I bet they didn't understand what they were saying. When they said that, when they did that, maybe they were just in a bad mood. Maybe it, maybe, 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 maybe who knows what happens. But if I can be really quick to forgive them, And God's just going to bless me because his word says, if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. Man, if we truly want to walk in his blessing, we have got to be some very forgiving people. There's one uh, scripture story of, of the... Matthew 18, uh, 32, well, it's, I think it starts at 21, but verses 32 through 35. Back, yeah, let's, yeah, I can almost see that one. But <laughs> this guy ended up owing his master a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And, and his master called him in to collect the debt that he had. You know, and each of us have a debt. Uh, to collect the debt that he had, and he said, you know, I can't pay it. I, I don't, please don't take my family. He just begged with the master, and he said, you know what? I forgive you your debt. Well, this same guy that had been forgiven so much went to a fellow servant, somebody that owed him some money, and he said, give me the money. I mean, man, he's ready to just grab him around the throat, choke him, and say, give me the money that you owe me. And he didn't have the money to give him, so he had him thrown into prison. So, what does the master, when he heard about that, what does he do? 
Then the master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And, uh, and his master was very angry, and he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. I think it's a great scripture, a great story right there, that when we have unforgiveness in our heart and we're unwilling to forgive, we can be turned over to torturers that there is torture that begins to start happening in your mind, in your soul, in your spirit, because that unforgiveness is, I've shared this before, Joyce Meyer says, it's like drinking poison and hoping that it will affect somebody else. It's us that is so adversely affected by the unforgiveness. So it's critically important that we forgive, so not only that we would be forgiven, that we could walk in the freedom that I'm talking about. Completely walking in freedom when we have nothing in us from the devil. Unforgiveness being a huge one. So critically important, critically important. You know, as Jesus said... To the woman caught in adultery, woman, your sins are forgiven you. Now go and sin no more. The first thing that she has to do, the first thing that we have to do is believe. I say trust, believe, receive. These words were given to me many, many years ago, and I wrote them down in that order. Trust, believe, and receive. We have to hang on to that forgiveness, believing that we have been completely forgiven. Hang on and not let go of that forgiveness because the enemy will come and try to end up causing you to wallow in that where you had been. We're not. We are not to be going back, to revisit, to wallow in. Oh, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. I'm so sorry. You've been forgiven. Just stop. Now, we're getting ready to, to read further some really, really good news. But I just want to share back the first, my I'm talking about 51 years, the first 19 of my 51 years of serving the Lord was a whole different picture. As a young man... Everybody knows that we all have a struggle or two in our lives. We all have something that we're going to have to overcome. Right? Okay. I was one of those guys that had a struggle or two. And I would, of my own strength, thinking that I serve this God, that I'm trying my absolute best to please, trying my absolute best to please Him, on my own strength, on my own power. So I would come against, I am so sorry that I did that again. I'm so sorry that I did that again. Please forgive me. But not feel very forgiven because I had done it again. 
Anybody with me here? Been there, done that? It's like, it's like, okay, God, here I stand one more time. If you'll forgive me one more time, I promise you, I will never do that again. I'm saying, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. And then, slip and do that again? Have the enemy come in and say, how could you even ask forgiveness again? He knows, you knows, <laughs> you knows, you know, <laughs> the enemy knows, you, you're, you're just going to mess up again anyway. So why would you even ask again? You are a loser. You can't do it anyway. You're just going to do it again. You're going to do it again. So we start to listen to that voice, and you can almost give up, saying, you're right, I can't. It's before I came to the understanding that there was this Holy Spirit that would endue me with power from on high and give me power and authority as I co-labored with Jesus. This is not my battle anymore. Instead of help me, I put this at your feet. Help me, walk me through this. Take me through this hand in hand. When I came to that realization, that Holy Spirit would give me strength and power, that I have authority over this junk. That, oh, thank you, Jesus. This isn't my battle to try to please you. This is our battle because you love me. Okay. I better really get to some good news now. It's, Father, forgive them, for they just don't know what they're doing. We need to be people that are quick, quick, quick to forgive. Were we able to get, or am I just going to be reading? Were we able to get uh, the Passion Translation? Okay. I'm going to start with our new life in Christ, which is the fourth chapter. No, I'm going to start before that. This is, there's so much good news in, in Ephesians. And in the Passion Translation, it just makes it such a beautiful... So I'm going to start with uh, <laughs> the seventh verse. So get ready to listen to me for a little bit. He, Jesus Christ has generously given each one of us a supernatural grace according to the size of the gift of Christ. That's why he says he ascends into the heavenly heights, taking as many captured ones with him, taking his many captured ones with him, and gifts were given to men. He, Jesus, ascended means that he returned to heaven after he had first descended from the heights of heaven, even descending as far as the lowest parts of the earth. The same who descended is also the one who ascended above the heights of heaven in order to begin the restoration and fulfillment of all things. Everybody say, all things. And he, Jesus, has appointed some with grace. What's grace? It's just an unmerited favor. Unmerited favor, power and authority to operate in. 
some with grace to be apostles, some with grace to be prophets, some with grace to be evangelists, and others with grace to be pastors, some with grace to be teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. Everybody say, own works of ministry. As they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. These grace ministries will function until we all attain oneness into the faith, until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God. And finally, we become one into a perfect man with the full dimensions of spiritual maturity. We become one into a perfect man with the full dimensions of spiritual maturity and fully developed into the abundance of Jesus Christ. And then our immaturity will end. And we will not be as easily shaken by trouble, nor led astray by novel teachings or false doctrines of deceivers who try to teach clever lies. But instead, we will remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express the truth. All our directions and ministries will flow from Christ, lead us deeper into Him, the anointed head of his body, the church. His body, the church. For his body has been formed in his image. So the church has been built, constructed as a body in his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one. Everybody say, as one. Every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. As these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body, we are built up and made perfect in love. Our new life in Christ. So with the wisdom given to me, this is Paul speaking, from the Lord, I say, you should not live like unbelievers around you who walk in their empty delusions. Their corrupted logic has been clouded because their hearts are so far from God, their blinded understanding and deep-seated moral darkness keeps them from the true knowledge of God. Because of spiritual apathy, they surrender their lives to lewdness, impurity, and sexual obsession. But this is not the way of life that Christ has unfolded within you. If you've really experienced the Anointed One, and heard his truth, it will be seen in your life. If you've really experienced the anointed one and heard his truth, it'll be seen in your life. You'll be known by your fruit. For we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. He's taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the old man, the ancient man, the old self which was corrupted by sinful, deceitful desires that spring from delusions. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you. You are responsible for the revelation that you have. And to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within. 
and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ, where? Within, in you, as your new life, and live in union with him. He's recreated you all over again in his and listen to this. He's recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness. And now you belong to him in the realm of true holiness. You belong to him in the realm of true holiness. So there is holiness within you because Jesus Christ lives in you. And because we've been endued with power from on high, wrapped up, clothed in power from on high, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, we have righteousness within, we have power, authority, and protection around and is that not a formula for holiness, to be walking in holiness? I think I'm going to stop reading and share just a little bit, just a little bit more. Um, walking in oneness, walking in oneness. I had somebody ask me earlier, early this week, it's like, Pastor Lynn, how do you maintain oneness? How do you stay in a place of oneness with God? It's like, and that caused me to do some thinking. I started sharing. I thought for a little bit, then I then I started sharing because some of this was prompted by a couple of conversations that I've that I've had with others. Matthew being one of those. It's like we we've sat out in front of the church. I've had about three or four people as of late that I've had this conversation of sharing my belief with. It's like. Where does Jesus, where is he inhabited? Where, where does he live? So where's, where, where's Jesus? Matthew, where's you? Right there. Where's you? Right there. It's like, so, where's Holy Spirit? Okay. So if I'm going to be led by the Holy Spirit, it says, men, the footsteps of a righteous man are ordered and directed of the Lord, right? So if I'm going to be led by the Spirit, that should be happening with every step. Correct? Yeah? Okay. So if I'm led by the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit's right here, and if I ask you, could you, would you consider, you say, well, let me have some time to pray about that. Okay. What's your answer? They look at me just like, what's wrong with you? I said I need some time to pray about that. It's like, oh, you don't have him on speed dial? Oh, you think the line's going to be busy. Oh, this is a long-distance call for you? Oh, you got put on hold. <laughs> oh, then how is he going to be guiding every footstep that you take? 
If this takes a long time to be able to wait and connect, you got put on hold again, then you better just stop. It's like those that wait on the Lord <laughs> will, be renew, will renew their strength. I believe that it's those that are waiting on the Lord, their strength will be renewed like wings of eagles. I don't believe it. My personal belief is if I am walking in oneness, if I am connected, that I don't have to wait a long time. I don't have to pray for days. Now, there are some really big, 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 big moves. It's like, okay, I'm going to need, and I've, I have definitely been guilty of this myself. Not guilty, not, not guilty of this. I have definitely spent time in prayer and, and waiting for an answer. But I believe most of the time when we have that connection that when we're walking, that when we're living in oneness, that we don't have anything, that the enemy has no leverage in our life, that we can just tap right in really quickly. We can hit speed dial and go, hey, what are you thinking right here? What are you thinking right here? That's what I thought. Okay. Because I believe we have access, the Word says that we have access to the mind of Christ. So if we have access to the mind of Christ, if we're walking with Him, if He's directing our steps, then why does it take a big, long pause? I get back to you in three days. I need to pray about this. Like, there are things we need to pray about. But I believe the biggest, <laughs> the biggest thing and the biggest complication is right here. We have that spirit right here, and when we can, can, can connect here and here, bring things into alignment. So finally, my, my, my biggest and best answer to here was, as long as I can keep things in alignment, there's things that I need to ask forgiveness for. I'm like the 23rd Psalm, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I need some course correction sometimes. I need that staff around the neck to kind of pull me back around a little bit to stay on track. So, and I, 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 I am open. Father, I, I'm submitted to you. Correct me when you need to. I want the correction. I want the correction. We, we, we refer to that as joyful repentance. Like, yep, correct me. I, I turn, even if it's just a little turn, I, I turn. I, I'll make that correction. But I don't have to have a long time to wait and to pray about it. When you look at the life of Jesus, he went to the mountains to spend time with the Father, to be refreshed and spend time with the Father. But if he'd had to be running to the Father and pray, 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 and wait for an answer, man, in three years, he wouldn't have got nearly as much accomplished as he did. And... Truth in love, truth in love. Well, that's my belief. That's my belief. You can, uh, you can study, you can research it on your own if you think differently. Um, I give you permission to be wrong. <laughs> Let's stand together. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love. And I thank you for all of the plans that you have for each one here. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, you got a plan and a purpose, and it's not to harm. It's not to harm. 
but it's to bring goodness. It's to bring goodness. John 10.10 says, You came that we would have life and that we would have life to the abundance that we just have to follow you, that we just have to completely submit our lives, our will to you. And I just thank you for, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises. And in your word, it says that you, you are preparing your bride, the church, that that's us. And that we need to continually be taking a shower, be, be bathing in your word, that we will be cleansed by your word. I just thank you for that promise. And I thank you, Father, and I ask that you give each one of us a desire and a hunger in our heart for more of your word, that we will be washed by your word as we dig deeply into it and are led by your precious Holy Spirit. Just have your way, have your way with your people this morning. Where there's healing that needs to take place this morning, as Pastor Tim said, let it be, let it be. And I thank you, Lord, for every trial, for every test that we have to go through as a church, as individuals, as the body of Christ. There are tests that we're going to go through that we're going to have to pass to be overcomers. But our desire is to be overcomers in you. That by the power of your might, we will be successful. We will be conquerors when we fully submit ourselves to you. We thank you. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, Amen. Well, we have a prayer team up.